0: Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Podcast, and I am so excited to have Drew with me here today because, uh, you know, his background in insurance and moving into real estate, different things like that, that is near and dear to my heart. Um, With that, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time. We're just going to have a conversation here. So how's it going, man?
1: It's going great. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun, I think. So doing well. How are
0: you? Doing good. Doing really good. Um, So, talk to me, man, insurance background. I, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. That's my background too. So, uh, what were you doing?
1: (laughs) Uh, you know, I was managing a big vendor program for most of my career there. I was in a little bit of risk management, but but for the most part was managing a large national, uh, vendor program in the auto claim side. So large national partners, uh, you know, private equity backed national auto body shop firms. Right. So these guys were, you know, just consolidating the whole market and, had probably, uh, you know, it it was, uh, I forgot the figure now, but probably about half of all the auto claims went through these large conglomerates. So, yeah, we, we basically helped manage that system and really said, Hey, if you're going to have this many eggs in these baskets, we're going to manage you guys, we're going to push you to do the right things. So uh, yeah, all the while that was a, you know, very corporate endeavor. And I always miss being an entrepreneur. I was, uh, had my I I actually had my own business when I was 20 uh, partner and I basically ran a guy's company. He had about uh half a dozen or so different ones. He goes, why don't you just buy this thing for me? I would rather focus on my other ones. So we said happily, yes. And ran a, my own business for, for about four years or so uh, back a little bit before the crash. And as that sort of developed, we, we moved out of that. So yeah, corporate world for a while. And that was a safety, uh, a safety play for a little bit, but of course, if you've been an entrepreneur in the past, you always have that itch. So of course, you know, that's
0: yes. something it's Never hard goes to ignore away. and you
1: go, yeah, yeah. And just, you just kind of go, well, you know, this is sort of a flat operation and sure there's, you know, some opportunities here and there, which I got quickly. And then you start to see things flatten out and you look around and go, am I just waiting for someone to retire or die? And, and uh, you know, it sounds cynical, but it's a little bit true. You look around at people that are working in the same space as you going, oh, you've been here for 20 years. Kind of just, yeah. cruising, right? Yeah. A very safe place and you can support a family. So no complaints, great company. I worked for Liberty Mutual Insurance and a uh, great company and all that, but I just had that itch again. So I had to run, uh, you know, ended up jumping into real estate full time after having invested passively on the side, uh, had, you know, sold a house uh, that I had put a lot of sweat equity into and had uh, a lot of proceeds come out of that. And I really made that, you know, you kind of hit that fork in the road when it comes to real estate. What do you want to do? I mean, a lot of people mix it up, but I just said, I'm too hands-on. I'm too DIY of a guy. I'll be in a tenant's hair if I'm starting to rent out properties that are close by to me. So I, I really chose to go passive and, and I'm glad I did just for my personality. It worked yeah. out really nicely. So I could uh, not have to be, you know, wringing my hands and, and all over um, the stuff that, that I'm managing
0: and how long, how long how long was that now when did you like uh fully make the switch uh,
1: about 2 years ago so i was investing since about 2015 2016 or so uh passively and then i actually started investing with a few sponsors uh including a company called Mad capital partners i really like their strategy and what they're doing the you know you get to know the principals a bit and start yeah. having some conversations with them and uh just you know one thing led to another and uh, I said, Hey, I can, I can bring some value here and help kind of open up some of the bottlenecks, especially on the equity side. And so now it was like, I, I came over a couple of years ago and started working with lenders as we uh, acquire more properties. And um, you know, when you do, you know, about 10 acquisitions a year, there's a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of debt to work on. Then of course, as you get into contract, you're working with equity partners and yeah, you know, pretty good network. And there was an existing network, but we've really kind of worked to grow that. So you know, the equity comes, um, you know, I don't want to say easy, but uh, it's, it's not a constraint. It's not a bottleneck in the acquisition side. And that's an important thing. You want to feel like you're free to make offers and know that you have investors standing behind you when you move forward.
0: Yeah. And now where are your assets? Like where geographically are they?
1: So they're all over the place, but, uh, we're, we're pretty agnostic. But when you, when it comes to industrial, you know, we're dealing with a lot of industrial properties with manufacturing tenants, uh, food producers, food processors, you know, these guys don't set up shop in high cost of living areas, right? If I build, uh, you know, drive train systems for ATVs or something really specific like that, you know, I'm going to have customers maybe all over the nation, maybe all over the world, um, that you're, you're. You're sending product out to you, right? So yeah. you find a lot of these companies are Midwest and it's the Sun Belt, Texas and the Midwest are really kind of the center of a lot of our operations just because that's where we find those opportunities. And uh they're not gonna be on on Main Street in Dallas, right? They're yep. gonna be a little bit on the edge of town or secondary markets, even tertiary markets where you have lower cost of labor mm-hmm. um and you know access to labor, but lower cost there and when you talk to these tenants, you know, they go, look, we're able to pay a pretty reasonable amount to employees and they're able to support a whole household with a single income. You know, I live in yeah. California here. I don't know very many people at all that have a single income. You know, everyone's two, yes. two, uh, two working parent households. If they're yeah, supporting that's a the family. world. So, mm-hmm. yep, totally.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting cause I, I, I love industrial. Um, it's, almost like I view our sister to what we do in self-storage. Um, and self-storage really moved out of the industrial parks and moved on to Main Street. And yeah. that has been an interesting process over the last 15 years to see that, that transaction take place. And the economics and a lot of people, you know, when you look at why... Why certain assets perform the way they perform, right? And you mentioned really important things—the drivers and the reasons why your industrial is where it is, right? These are distribution centers. These are triple, at least sometimes, by large companies that it's the base of their operations. So you have companies that may be manufacturing, they may be product cells. They're delivering all over um, geographically. You know, we find them. In places like maybe Kansas City, where it's distributing all out, you know, all over the place in Denver, going across through the Rockies, it, you get a lot of this. Like in in Reno, because the holding cost. So in, in California, the moment your products move over into California, they get taxed, right? So right. it's taxed like you was So Reno. And at Las Vegas have become these just ginormous centers for massive industrial because what they're doing is they're sending them right next to the edge of California and all these companies are housing all of their materials, all of their goods. They're doing everything in these cities and then they're distributing them into California so they don't have to pay the tax. <laughs> and so I love industrial because it's um, – To me, it's like self-storage is ran um, more like a retail center, right? It's moved into that main street. But the overall economics and how we look at the development and the building and the contract issues, right, um, in in industrial, it has the same uh, feel, look, and I understand it the same way, but the benefits to it are – really good in the benefits that we don't have in self-storage. Now it's also vice versa, right? But you have long-term stable tenants, right? That use this as a base of operations. They're occupying lots of times, um, maybe not all the space, but it may be, uh, you know, 10, 20 plus thousand square feet. And you may have five different spaces of industrial that they're using. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can go about it. And industrial has just done so well over the last past five years, as well as self-storage. And, um, the reason is, is because of the economics of it. And it it has a lot to do with this distribution problem. And in the United States, we have a massive distribution problem, particularly in last mile, right? Like, I mean, you, you talk about the need for these things and a lot of people look down on industrial, which is really weird to me because it's like they view it as like it needs to be on Main Street. And if it's not, it's not a good property. And I'm like, no, it's a good property because of the revenue. That's what makes real estate a good property. It doesn't, you know, if it's downtown and it's bankrupt, it wasn't a good property. It's, that doesn't matter. Right. And industrial right, right, is That's awesome. It.
1: Yeah, we look at these a lot different than other asset classes and probably a little bit similar to the way you're looking at self-storage, uh, just a lot different than multifamily, for instance. So uh, the market analysis is is wildly different, uh, the type of manufacturing uh, operations going on in a lot of these industrial facilities. And mind you, they're, they're pretty versatile, right? Someone yeah. could, could absolutely fill that same exact building with a, yeah. a warehouse and distribution
0: center, yeah. right? It, it, Just it's a sponsor. shell with so sometimes some offices, right? Very simple.
1: Right, right. Hey, it's got four dock doors. We're going to add another four, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do there. That's about as much TI work as you might need to bring it into distribution center. So, yeah. uh, but we're looking at these markets and I, I don't really care about certain metrics like I would in multifamily. And uh, we did a deal recently, I was looking, I, I still like to look at all the market metrics, but do I care about crime rates in an area uh, when I'm getting into industrial? And for us, the answer is not, not really, right? As long as it's not uh, the whole mark, people are moving out of town and the population is decreasing to zero because it's just that bad. But hey, it's higher than average national crime rates. I'm not saying we're looking for that, but does that really move the needle for us here? Not really, right? I mean, these are companies who make things. They oftentimes, they operate in rough and tumble areas. These aren't garden neighborhoods. You know, This industrial so you look around and go, okay, well, what's the vacancy right here? How much demand is there for industrial? And then you start to see a strong market and you go, okay, that's all right. You know, this isn't uh, a sexy skyscraper with a pool on top, right? Yeah. This is industrial, right? It's, it's very boring in its way, but it's a very viable property with a lot of demand for it, especially like you said now, increasing over time. Then of course, COVID, uh, you know, made a lot of companies head spin. They're onshoring manufacturing operations. They're bolstering their supply chains. Uh, they're looking for uh, more, um, basically, add more robustness to that supply chain because yeah. of how much demand there is and and how much control that they're looking for, right? Yes, Which is being so dependent on a lot of third party logistics companies. So it's a uh, it's an interesting world, and and the way you look at these location wise is. Um, uh, you know, and I should add part of the reason we're not as focused on market and location is because we're generally signing really long term leases with yeah. very strong tenants. Yeah. Um, and like you said, hey, having that long commitment is great, but these are, you'll find in this area in industrial, more triple net leases. So it becomes yeah. even more stable and predictable. So as we're having single tenants in a single property, they're sitting, you know, inside of all four walls in the roof. And so they're more willing to take on that triple net term and take on the responsibility of those costs. And I'm sure your listeners know, you know, what this means, but essentially that means the tenants responsible for insurance taxes, utilities, maintenance, everything uh, virtually. So that part of it really helps. And they don't mind doing that, right? Hey, I'm signing a 15 or 20 year lease. Yeah. Uh, That's okay. Right. Uh, I'm okay with signing this. We just want to make sure we're looking at the property and I'm not uh, inheriting uh, a roof on day one. Uh, But outside of that, it's generally a pretty pal- palatable kind of arrangement.
0: Exactly, and when I look at two, so I, I have a thing that I call operation-based real estate investing, and that was something that I got in that I was thinking about a lot when we were starting to get in self storage. Should what should we do? Should we do it in other in other assets? And you know, when we got and you talk about oh, it's not sexy things like that. And when we got involved in self storage, I, I didn't even tell anybody we own self storage. It was, it was like an embarrassment. Like people are like, why are you buying a junkyard? Like, it was like, you know, this is early 2000s. This is when nobody bought right. storage. Banks didn't want yeah. storage, right? And wow, has that changed ever. But um, when, you, when you look at the reason why I liked that asset and others, it's because of this operation-based real estate investing strategy. Meaning there is an overall purpose and utilization of the real estate based upon operations. So businesses are using this and they need it for a base of operations, or I'm utilizing the real estate and I can improve it through operations. The, the reason I look like this, and the reason um, it's it's important to me is because it has to do with how real estate is derived. Real estate is derived essentially only on two, two ways, right? It is derived through the total revenue, the what it makes. Do you make money or not? Right? right. And the stability of that money you're going to make. That's it. Nothing else. And so it's a, a profitable
1: asset. Bingo.
0: Yeah. Exactly. We like, that's why we have things like cap rates in real estate, because you don't buy real estate because it's sexy. That's not why you buy real estate. Real estate, commercial real estate, excuse me, commercial real estate, right? There is there is nothing financially logical about my house that I'm building right now. And it's hard for me as a commercial real estate investor to even be building it. Um, but I'm not going to go into that yep. right now. That's going to get me off on a tangent. But um, because it needs to provide a purpose. It needs to have revenue producing activities because the only thing it is, is a investment vehicle, right? If you go into it thinking anything otherwise, you are going to get burned, massively because that's what the that's how the market works. Now, when we look at industrial, it is very operationally based. It allows for these companies to base their operations and the companies that are in them, the better they do, the more that they can provide for you, the better th- um, they can pay you, right? So I can look at it and like, I'm sure you guys do. The key thing that you're looking at is the tenant that is going to lease that, who are they? What do they do? How strong are they? And what is the time frame in which they want to lease that out? Because that tells you everything that you need to know. Are we going to be able to charge more? What is the stability of that income and the contract rate, right? And there's a beautiful thing about that. Uh, simplicity okay. and <laughs> everything else. It's it, For me, I'm like, that's a much better asset than, um, let, let's say, maybe a nice fancy hotel, which – Like my friend that owns a lot of hotels, he told me, AJ, I don't know what our occupancy and revenue is going to be till the day of. He had no idea how many people are going to show up that night. I don't know. Is there going to be a terrorist attack? And all of a sudden planes stop flying. Are there, is there going to be a pandemic? Is there going to be, it changed literally the day of, right? Um, And it's just unknown. I love industrial because it's not like that.
1: Yeah, hotel operators, I I give my my total respect. And they've had 100%. a brutal last year and a half. But um, even in good times, it's hugely risky. Yes. So like for exactly what you said, I, I can't imagine making that kind of, I don't want to say it's speculative, but um, there's certainly, you have to have some chops and yes. know what you're doing when it comes to managing uh, an asset in that space. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you know, I would happily invest Uh, passively within a sponsor who knew what they were doing. Exactly. That's how I am too. I'm like, yeah, yeah.
0: because it is dependent solely on the person running it. And and storage is moving that way, right? Like when we look at storage, it doesn't have long-term contracts, but it doesn't have day to day. It has month to month. But at the end of the day, the performance of a storage facility is solely based on the person that owns it. Nothing else. Are they a good operator or not? It's kind of a merge in between industrial and hotels. You meet those two in the middle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There is that um, sort of customer and marketing uh, aspect to it, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to your house, AJ, you know, the heart wants what it wants. Just, you know, just <laughs> don't worry about what the... she wants. <laughs> exactly. And you want to live with that happy wife. Yeah. Yes. So uh, oh,
0: you don't want I someone that.
1: who's a... Uh, Angry in your house. Yeah. So now uh, let no, me ask you we're, you, we're talking about the benefits saying. though.
0: I, I get it before you get into that. Cause I do need to ask you a question on this. Yeah. We're talking about the benefits of industrial, which we, I want you to continue talking about why you guys are in it, why you guys are liking it, different things like that. But I also want to know, what are you looking to avoid?
1: So benefits, we've been concentrated on uh, industrial since about 2016. We had done some industrial before that, but really kind of turned the focus Good move. to that even more and, um, and sale these back transactions, which I'll get to if you want to talk about. But uh, that's really been the primary basis of our strategy. You're really focusing on that niche and we're trying not to stray out of it too much and get shiny object syndrome. So we really have uh, some momentum in the space. And the original basis for that was... We're looking out around the uh, the economy, like a lot of people were in about 2016, going, "Hey, this uh, bull run's got a little long in the tooth, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to expect some kind of pullback." Little do we know that was just going to continue to run for a while. But yeah. we we really said, "Hey, this is uh, a this is a recession-resistant asset class." I know that term gets thrown around a lot in real estate, but it is, uh, yeah. you know, when you're focused on these types of tenants, because you look around and you go, OK, see that building over there on the horizon and that big industrial park? Yeah, I don't even know what's in there. Right. Yeah. They don't have a big sign, but yeah. it turns out you go by there and maybe they make, um, you know, shells for bus companies. Yeah. You know, yeah. it could be something like that. That's just so under the radar. You don't think about it. Right. And so they're out there and oh, it turns out the big but fundamental for, for years, society Right. Exactly. Under the radar, uh, serving a very viable need as a viable business here. And a lot of times they've been operating there for decades. So yes. a lot of times I just think back and go, wow, what have these guys been through? Right. They've been yeah. through presidential administrations. They've yeah. been through economic crises. The you know, they, the, the times of the eighties, uh, 2001, the financial crisis. And they're still over there operating. Maybe they changed ownership hands. They probably did. Or maybe they did. Either way, they've been there for a long time. Right, exactly. So, you know, they renovated this property. And, um, you know, just to kind of jump into that sale leaseback, that's where we're finding a lot of opportunities where these companies are operating with ownership of the asset, right? So a lot of times they get to a point and they're looking to access capital, continue to grow the company. And maybe it's acquiring a competitor company. Maybe it's uh, you know, so capital investment or rebalancing their capital and their balance sheet. So they're looking at doing something and accessing the equity they have in this property yeah. to do that. So there's a lot of motivation there for a business. They don't think uh, the same way as real estate investors do, right? They have alternative priorities, right? Which is growing the business. They're not in business to own real estate. So they can get, I mean, frankly, they can get a higher return on their capital than, they can owning real estate, right? Yeah, They're going, hey, I can use $10 million here to 3X the size of this company. Yeah, I'm going to access that, pull it out, sell this asset, and simultaneously sign a long-term lease uh, with someone and, and make sure the terms that I can live with and also give myself that long-term security. If I'm that seller, that business, hey, I got myself 2% rent So over the next 20 years. That's going to protect me a bit. I, I don't have to worry too much about getting you know slapped in the back of the head by um, you know, short term rental lease, uh, excuse me, lease contracts where I may have increases in the market rents that, uh, that throw me and and kind of, I'm not ready for it, right? So it protects them in a a bit in that way. And for us as a, a, you know, a real estate investor here, we're coming and going, hey, this is fantastic. I have a tenant in place. They're very secure. They're signing a triple net lease. I don't have to worry about that. And it's 100% occupancy. So you kind of go, where's the risk? Yeah. And it's really in the solvency of that tenant. Yes. Uh, kind of going going back to that. But yeah, I know this is kind of tying into why we like industrial real estate, but uh, that's in this space, you have those opportunities as companies continue to grow. And some of these opportunities come from all the activity out there in the private equity world. There's a lot of these guys, their businesses are changing hands. There are, uh, you know, family owned businesses out there that are fine, you know, baby boomers who are getting to that retirement age and looking to sell cash out on that business they've grown for the last 30 years, whatever it might be. Private equity groups are happy to buy those, roll them up into their portfolio, into the parent companies, whatever they would like to do there. And it's a great, um, it's a great way for us to find uh, off-market deals, right? Private equity groups going, hey, we're less concerned with uh, the sale price of this asset, more so than finding someone who can execute on an offer, who, who can finance it, bring in the equity and close on this property, because ultimately it's a transaction for them that they need to get done so they can continue to find more opportunities uh, to, you know, add more operating companies to their portfolio. Right. Yes. So I know I just kind of took a right turn over there, but that's, no, that's where a lot of these opportunities are coming from. Because frankly, I've you know i talked to a lot of people recently told me, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of private equity op- uh, activity. Again, like I mentioned, even a, a guy I work with pretty closely, he's a he owns a dental practice. And he goes, I've been approached so many times over the last three years uh, from private equity groups looking to acquire our business, right? And he owns the real estate there, right? So then there's, again, that sort of, what do we do with the real estate and private equity groups, again, also not interested in tying up their capital in real estate. So uh, we're over here going, hey, we would happily take that off your hands. Let's make sure that we have a, you know terms that make sense on a long term lease, because it's a great business, right? I yeah. want them backing a 20-year lease here because uh, we're diving in and it turns out it's, it's a very well-run company with uh, exceptional EBITDA margins, you know, diversified customer base. I mean, I can go on on that for a while, but we yeah. have guys, um, you know, on our team and, and this is something, you know, you're a real estate guy, you're used to looking at PLs and balance sheets, right? If you're operating real estate, you know this stuff, but when it comes to corporate credit risk, you know, we, we have some guys on our team that come from a long background of that. And so, That's a good, you know, you could talk about this for a long time, just having the right team around you, but getting people like that to really untangle um, financials. And, you know, everyone knows the companies will sort of finagle their numbers and finances. So it's good to know and have someone detangle that so you know, hey, what's really going on here, right? They move some things around here. They move some debt to equity or vice versa. What's happening here? what are they doing? Let's make sure we really understand what this company is doing before we jump into bed with them
0: for a long lease. Now, talk to me about areas of the country. Are there areas that you look at for this asset type that you say, we're probably going to avoid these areas, and is there reasons why? Like when when you're looking for, you know, I mean, some asset classes they just have areas that are like, just we we don't really go here, we don't want to be there, and there's certain reasons for it. Is that true with the industrial?
1: I don't think there's a single uh, criteria or area we'll stay out of um, 100%, right? We own a couple assets in California, It's tough to make money out here. <laughs> yeah. Real estate. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, unless it's an area investing I won't go in into, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will get into that. Yeah, but you know, we have a you know, we closed on on an asset last summer and it made sense, a company who's building burned down, they reconstructed a new property. They're manufacturing baby food pouches. We all know if you have kids. And these guys said, okay, we're looking to pay off construction loans. You know, we're on our feet. We're profitable again. And it made sense there. But yeah, New York has its own challenges with some of the costs that come Uh around. Especially if you're syndicating these things, there are some additional costs around that. So fees and things like that. So you really have to kind of weigh that into the underwriting and go, does this make sense? It's a little more challenging to find the yield that you're looking for because of it. Uh, and two, so, like alternative you know, options. Is,
0: do you look at areas where you go? There's an alternative option that if we do this here, like others may come up, and then we have to compete at you know a level that we may not be able to compete in.
1: Yeah, if you're if you're talking again about the that some of the costs that can be higher depending on in air in an area, um, you know, Pennsylvania, for instance, we're working on a deal there. Very high transfer taxes there. Uh, uh, you know, it's not killing the deal,
0: but you but have to you know, gotta be aware of these that things. in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think when you're looking at all these, you look at, you know, how, uh, tertiary a market might be. Yes. Um, we're not scared to go tertiary again. Yeah, we have some of these tenants that are exceptionally strong, but I need to know that what's my basis on this real estate. Uh, first of all, I need to know, Hey, what am I holding? Should I come into a, uh, a dark, uh, building, right? If yeah. I have an empty, asset here? What am I holding here? How much, what's my lease rate in comparison to the market around here? Because I want to be able to attract someone in. And that's the thing, that's the thing about these types of companies is they will go set up shop and operations, additional facilities in tertiary areas, because again, that uh, lower cost of, of operation. So I need to know I have a low basis there if I want to go into tertiary markets and more important than that, how strong is this tenant? So you really have to be able to kind of, make up for some market issues with a, a credit enhancement there um you need to be able to just outweigh some of those risks with some other strength so it's i would say we're not uh, there's not a single market that we're absolutely opposed to it's just yeah you know you have to have a uh, juice in that deal
0: in yeah. order to make it work how much do demographics and population growth things like that are those big indicators do they apply or is it not really
1: not as much. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's uh you're again, long term lease that we're signing right at yep. close. Uh,
0: it's the need again, of the company. The
1: vacancy. It's... Yeah, industrial vacancy rate's a huge one. I want to know okay. that, hey, if I end up in a worst case scenario where they have an empty asset, I need to know if there's a lot of demand for that. So it could even be a um you know, a secondary or primary market and look really great, a lot of growth. But if there's, you know, too much supply out there in industrial, then shoot, you're gonna be you know, hard-pressed to kind of find an exit strategy if you run into an issue and lose a tenant. So that's a lot more important so, uh, than, you know, e- exploding populations around there. Because, yes. again, you have some of these smaller areas and, you know, outskirts of a secondary market where yeah. you're going, okay, they're kind of out there, hour outside of town, maybe but something like that. But it doesn't like change that. the need. And, yeah, they've been there for 50 years yeah. with the same group of employees out of uh-huh. maybe a smaller group of uh, labor that they're pulling from, but they've in been fact, a big some, part of that. Some town. might
0: need it to be there. Like, it, there, there's actually reasons why they're there. They can't move. Like, it's.
1: And you should see the support that these companies get in some of the more tertiary areas from the community. You know, what oh, happened over huge. COVID is they really want to make sure that these guys were able to run because it was supporting not the whole town, of course, but yeah. it's an important player in yes. the community. So they, these guys often fared much better yeah. than cities your, give them tax your, your,
0: breaks and all sorts of stuff.
1: Absolutely. To move in. But, uh, just, just that COVID scenario that was so unique. Yeah, You had a lot of, um, local ordinances that, that weren't restricting these companies from, from operating and, you know, just by nature being in a, you know, it's considered an essential business, at least yep. like what they deemed this during COVID at least, yeah. uh, you know, they were able to operate just because of that, they weren't sort of a retail customer facing type of operation. So a lot of, you know, that just added strength to industrial assets in general. Yeah. Um, I wish we could say we saw that coming. Of course not. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you go, Hey, this is a a, a even better place to be because, you know, as you saw retail really suffer, Uh, we called up all our tenants right after COVID and people say, yeah, look, we're operating, you know, we, we went through the initial Mm -hmm. two weeks and then, everyone realized that we needed to figure out who should and could continue to operate. And, uh, we're, we're in that bucket of businesses that we can safely operate because Hey, you know, again, manufacturing facility, we're not uh, face-to-face touching people. Exactly.
0: Industrial like self-storage did really good during the recession. In fact, in many ways, it actually propelled it and propped it up. Um, and it's interesting when you look at the effects, but, um, non-essential, right, businesses, uh, those are, generally speaking, not operating out of huge industrial spaces. These are people that yeah, make so. things. These are people that have to deliver good and items to people that they need now that they can't leave the house. These are everything from shipping to all sorts of stuff. But generally speaking, those are the companies companies that society needs to function. And they can't stop. They can't go away. And... Uh, um. Lots of those expanded and grew dramatically.
1: So I got a question for you. I want to, you know, yeah. keep this uh, two two ways here. But it's self storage. I'm not the expert here. You are, so I want to ask you a little bit about this because I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. Uh, but you probably saw. I mean, obviously, it has that resiliency because exactly what we're talking about, right? Hey, this is an essential business. Why would you shut this kind of business down? Uh, it's absolutely needed, right? Yeah. So, and and how would you shut it down? Right? I'm holding your stuff. You can't yeah. come in. Yeah. You can't do that. So uh-huh. uh, we had that yesterday. You know,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <they, laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, you can't go. Yeah, like you have to shut it down and close down access. And we're like, you want us to not allow people and businesses to get their stuff? Yeah. What? It's a tough ass. Like, yeah, that's a tough ass. That's, that's an ass that's going to end up me up in court. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, they They want to. You get in. Right. I'll deal with you, state, but I'm not stopping people from getting their stuff.
1: <laughs> but I'm going to need protection from my customers at that yes, way, right? Yes, exactly. So I'm just curious if you saw an increase in demand with all the migration oh, massively after COVID. Massively. People, okay, we're, wow. Yeah, yeah. We're,
0: we're in what I uh, I call the COVID bump. It's 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 wow. propped up and, and to, to a large extent, fairly artificially. Um, demand okay. just skyrocketed.
1: Was it offset by people moving into more single family homes with more space where they felt like they didn't need the storage? I'm no, that's actually, yeah, yeah. No, that's
0: a great question. And it's actually a huge misconception. The vast majority of storage utilizers are people that own their own home. It's it's not wow, renters. Okay. Yeah. So lots of people think it's right. renters. It, it's actually not. Um, the vast majority of people are single family homeowners. It's it's people there. We just turning re- to hoarders, you know? Yeah. Well, it's actually due to regulations. So regulations, you can't, uh, like, I can't go build a shop. I can't build a side house. I can't expand my garage if I want to. I can't um, put RVs out in the front. I can't do anything. So regulations, tightening up land use is one of the largest proponents and drivers of self-storage. And also wow. technology- Um, from a standpoint of a lot of the things that people use and utilize now have to be done in the right conditions. So that's why we have now climate controlled storage, which is huge. You just can't even put it into regular storage anymore. Um, And so it's very interesting, the economics of self-storage, but our ability to consume has greatly increased the same dollar, right? So a dollar in the 50s Right, compared to today, today, you can buy 10 times as much. So it's we can right. consume more with the same. And then what you're talking about is the relationship of uh, industrial and distribution centers is actually very much tied to storage. And a lot of times we have these industrial um, businesses that are on the offset. And perfect example is like Amazon or Red Bull, let's say. They're on the outskirts of the city. They have these ginormous warehouses. Then they'll go buy up internal um, huge storage facility units in downtown areas to take care of last mile delivery. So we actually coordinate wow. distribution a lot with businesses out of industrial centers um on the outskirts of town. Record storage, things like that. Totally interesting. These two industries that people, you know, looked at and but they're becoming a fab uh, they're becoming um both uh industrial and storage have been woven into the fabric of actual infrastructure in society. And it's, you know, gotten more and more and more and will continue to be. It's, you know, the the idea of how we utilize real estate has changed dramatically. Um, Look at how much people, what they use their home for, how much land they have, uh, association with kids, incomes, work, how they get to work. I mean, all of it's changed dramatically. Um, and that has just propelled industrial and self-storage up a lot.
1: So I have a fondness of self-storage. And I mentioned earlier that I used to be an entrepreneur. My partner and I owned a distribution company. We just did drinks and chips, non-alcoholic drinks, and yeah. mostly, you know, selling to cafes and delis. Hey, here's your bottle of drinks in the cooler, right? You got your chips up there to get with your sandwich, that kind of thing. Uh, pretty basic business. But, you know, did we get a warehouse? No. I went to a self-storage yep. facility. Yep. I rented out their three biggest units, yep. and I was able to use their equipment, the forklifts that they had on site. Uh-huh. And even if I wasn't there, this is a small business, of course. It was two my partner and I and a couple of part-time drivers, and they would unload uh, deliveries. A my truck would roll in. I'd have 20 pallets of chips or drinks coming out, and they would do that. So anyway, just as my experience yeah, anecdote, exactly. I know. But it was but pretty it, cool, and yeah. I always said, Hey, those chumps out there that are renting out industrial space and having to you know, pay employees to run it, I go, I paid these guys rent probably less per square foot than I would somewhere else. And they're managing deliveries for me. Yeah, they're unloading trucks. Yeah. I'm getting free labor out of this thing. So yeah. it's a little hidden kind of gem if you're running a small business. No, it is. And that's a huge there, so. thing
0: for us. Like the amount of business use, like for medical companies, huge. Um, um, pharmaceutical companies. Contractors, um, everything else. It it really what self storage became the industrial space for individuals. It did. And um, the demand is just, you know, skyrocketed. And it comes back down to these things that we're talking about with industrial, because I love industrial. So I'm totally obsessed with it. It's because of the like mindedness and everything. And, you know, four years ago, we, we had to develop out our storage facility company more. And so I decided not to go because we were looking at doing industrial, but it's always the one that I've always wanted to be in and do more of because of the economics of it. And I think that they just continue how society is going. The overall utilization of it will continue. These are long-term trends. Um, Now, a lot of the opportunities though have been, they're not as good as they used to be in industrial and storage. Cap rate compression has been off the charts right because like just what we're talking about everybody else is talking about so there has been a big change in the way that the markets look at these two asset classes and the way that they handle them which has created tremendous wealth for you know us but at the same time it's it' makes it harder to get and do good deals. And that comes back down to when you're talking about like a team. And two, also when you're looking at the infrastructure needed to buy good industrial, everything at like that, I was building it out. You, you know, for us, how we operate our storage facility companies, we got 50 employees. It's, yeah. this is a, 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 this is an operating full functioning company. We spend 50 right. plus thousand dollars a year just in technology, to do revenue management right. systems, things like that, right? Um, and I know industrial is 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 very similar through lease management and uh, through having your lease salespeople and on and on and on and on. So it's, uh, it's
1: yeah, yeah. It's a bit less actually. I'm sorry to jump in there. No, because no, Because of that that single tenant triple net lease.
0: Yeah, operationally, so industrial's less. I
1: think the assets are super similar, but operationally, at least being in that kind of single tenant triple net space is far more passive way more uh, so i don't envy you i yeah. don't envy all the work and management you do I
0: think yeah we're like a retail center it's like people too. coming in every day
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I hear a lot of people say I don't feel like I'm investing in real estate. I feel like I just started a business, right? And that's
0: self storage. I I started saying that a long time ago, like in early 2000s. I was like, they asked me to come, I'd go speak at events and things. I'm like, listen, self storage isn't a real estate investment. It's an operating business, and you got to treat it like it is. So
1: this is why I invest passively and have for a long time. (laughs) I just go. you know exactly what you're doing. Take my money. I love it. You know, you know what you're doing. So leveraging someone else's experience. And that's, that's
0: huge. Huge. Just even like hotels, I'm interested in hotels. I have a friend hotel. I'm in real estate. I'm not going to do that. I'll give him my money and he can go do it, but I'm not.
1: Because it's not even the real estate. Yeah. You might be able to look at comps and you know look at the condition of a property, but you go, I have to run this business. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, this is like buying an operating company. Yes. Um, I mean, it really is. You're a little bit like a, uh, I don't want to say like a private equity group, but uh, a little bit like that, right. You have to kind of know, Mm -hmm. Hey, what am I inheriting here? And what's the room for growth? I see. And that's, uh, as investors, that's what you're always looking for. You know, the meat on the bone. What, what can I do here to, uh, to improve the business?
0: Right. And how can I compete? you know, all that. But hey, well, thank you so much. I've kept you, you know, here for a while. Um, But Could you please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, what you're doing? Seriously, thank you for, I I, I could talk about this stuff. Like, I love industrial. I love, you know, all this stuff. We didn't even get into a lot that I wanted to get into. But uh, with that said, where can people go find and learn more about you? Uh,
1: They can email me if they just want to ask questions or just chat even. I I love to talk with you know, investors who are looking at things and evaluate a deal they're looking at, or if they want to look at what we're working on, they can email me at drew at magcp.com, M-H-E-C-P.com, or just go to our website, magcp.com.
0: And I'll put that uh, into the show notes too. So we'll get that awesome. in the show notes awesome. for yeah, you. Yeah,
1: thanks. So. I feel like we got to stay in touch because I, I, I'm i interested in what you're doing too. And and uh, it'll be kind of fun to stay in touch. And one 100%. more, I'll give you a quick plug here because yes. uh, I was I went to a physical real estate meeting, probably the first one in a, a long time. And I go there and I met someone new, we were talking and I go, oh, you know, you're kind of getting into real estate. It sounds like how'd you get here? He goes, I listen to this podcast. And I go, which one? I listened to tons of them. and He goes, AJ, AJ Osborne. And I was like, I'm going to be on his podcast in a few weeks. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. a cool, good shout out, you know, just uh, you know, listening yeah. to people and talking to them and people were saying that they like your show. So love it. Very nice work.
0: Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks.
1: Awesome. Thank you.